<laughs> I forgot how to close. <laughs> End scene. Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of those amazing academic discoveries and innovations that we often hear about, but never really seem to actually touch our lives in a meaningful way. We're here to find out what it takes to uh, make some of those discoveries into actual things. Um, thank you for joining us. We're sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer Office for the University of Nebraska. My name is Charlie Litton, and I'm joined by Joe Rungi. Hey, Charlie. Yeah, Joe is a lawyer and works at the at Unimed and does lawyerly things with technology, and he claims some sort of science background, but we're not sure about that. And I'm also joined by Tyler Schur. Say hi, Tyler. Hi, Charlie. I'm sorry, Joe. Did you want to defend yourself? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tyler is a PhD who really hated science, so he thought he would join us in the dark side of uh, technology. Is that fair? <laughs> I don't hate science. You kind of do. <laughs> you, you know, hate, I, I, hate, right. I hate doing science. Okay, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> I love reading about it. All right. I can. We have that in common then. All right. Um, so anyway, um, uh, my background is in journalism, so that's why I do um, a lot of talking that and rarely makes sense. Um, so thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get started, though, a little bit of housekeeping. Please uh, rate our podcasts if you're going to rate us well. Um, five stars or more. What's the rating system? Is it five stars? Is it ten? It, it tops out at five. Okay, I think we're I think we're a solid five. That's what I'm thinking. So please Between rate us. Between the three of us. <laughs> Between the we can yeah. pull it five stars. Yeah. So please rate us. Please subscribe. Tell your friends about us and your and your uh, family and even the people you don't, especially the people you don't like. You want to punish them. So make sure that they tune in because what we really want to do is we want to tell those untold stories about how universities are working to really change the world and we mean that um so helping get the word out about that will help us do that so with that said i think it's about time we went over the idea that sometimes ideas are so big and so groundbreaking i guess um that there's not even an accurate yardstick to measure whether or not the idea works you know i mean it's kind of hard to fathom this idea but um, well, actually, Joe, you were talking to me about this a while back. There was um, oh, a research study at Johns Hopkins many years ago. They wanted to fix blue babies, and they but they didn't ha know how to. Well, you tell the story because I'm, I'm I'm bombing it up here. Yeah. So uh, years and years ago, in the '40s, um, there were um, there was difficulty in. Uh, treating children with congenital heart defects, and, and they died. Uh, there wasn't much that can be done. And the thing that's really amazing, um, even in Omaha, Nebraska, um, there is a regional medical center that just does astonishingly effective ways of, of treating children with congenital heart defects. And so much of that innovation came about uh, really through just tremendously difficult work. And one of the things that was difficult is there was no model of these congenital heart defects. So what that means is in order to learn how to repair them, surgeons first had to learn how to create them. And so there is a, a famous painting uh, of Anna, who was a dog, um, uh, done by Dr. Dr. Alfred Blaylock. And, um, well, he didn't do the painting, right? He, he <laughs> did the surgery on the dog. 
And basically, he and his assistant were able to induce some of these congenital heart defects by sort of manipulating the dog. And the dog would live with the defect. And then they were able to do the surgery to correct it. So in order to learn how to fix the problem, they first had to learn how to create the problem in an animal. And then they had to actually do the hard work of learning how to fix it. And I think it was a really apt metaphor for a lot of the, the work that's done at the University of Nebraska Medical Center because there will be these observations saying that we have this big problem in, in healthcare. And it's so difficult to actually understand it because there's no effective model to treat it, right? We can't create an experimental model to even figure out if we're improving healthcare. And that goes right back to the point that you're there, that when you get to really innovative problems, sometimes there is no effective means to test it. This could be a animal model, uh, like a mouse that has the disease that human beings have in the way that human beings have. It could be a inability to create a, a way to do surgery that's effective. Um, or it could be uh, simply a lack of a sophisticated computer program that can actually simulate the events that are trying to work. And so much work in academics is simply about creating the, 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 the tools to do the experiments that people want to do. So that's, so how often do you see that? How often do you see, you know, when, when a, it seems like we get that with, I want to say virtual incision, they got like this whole pile of patents. And how many of those is the incremental steps they need to take just to make the one thing they want to do? Well, maybe a better example actually is the fistula. Um, Marius Florescu wanted to create a better, well, first off, can you explain what a fistula is? So first? Uh, an AV fistula is a preferred mechanism to do hemodialysis. And when people are in end-stage kidney disease, uh, there's a... So end-stage, you're talking about people like on... In kidney failure. Just, they're going to die. If your kidneys, you know, stop working, right? In order to survive, there's a machine that basically takes the function of your kidneys, and in order to actually operate, it's basically has to remove all of your blood, yeah. run it through a filter, and put it back in your body. And and that's really uh, it's really uncomfortable. Um, when you when patients start hemodialysis, they often do it through a, a big catheter that kind of goes into their chest. Um, but that's not sustainable in the long run. That catheter will eventually clog up. And so what is better? is if you can create a gigantic blood vessel in somebody's arm. And the way that you do that is surgical. You, well, I don't, um, but very skilled surgeons, they will sort of dissect the vein, they will suture it into an artery. And then when all of that blood flow goes into that vein from the artery, it's very high pressure, the vein freaks out and expands dramatically. Okay, um, so this is cool because now the vein or the artery is reacting to a stimulus, right? I mean, it's, yes. it's not, and it's just doing it because of the pressure, right? Well, it's interesting. I mean, this goes down to, you know, one thing that is really, when you get to the granularity of these these projects, is that you can't say. I mean, there's theories as to how the vein no. is actually sensing it. Really? Yeah. But, I mean, and it clearly is reacting. So you're right there. How it's reacting isn't entirely clear. Uh, if Marius were here, uh, Dr. Florescu, in his, um, you know, incredibly uh, compelling way, he would talk about how uh, the, the blood vessel has these little hairs, uh, the, vein, the vein has these little hairs all across it. And if three of the hairs in a row detect fast-moving blood, then they know, wow, this is going really fast because it has long laminar flow, right? It's like a wind tunnel. Huh. You get straight, long, fast blood flow, and we better start growing. And that will stimulate all kinds of growth responses to make that vein bigger. And if you look at, like, bodybuilders, right, when you have someone who's really big muscles and they get those really 
big veins. Yeah. That's what's in response to. They their their vein their muscles need more blood. Their veins grow. They become more prominent, more visible. Um, imagine that uh, on steroids, I guess, for lack of a better term, <laughs> when you have an artery now shunting blood into that vein, which is very unnatural, um, that that vein you know plumps up. And when you have someone with an AV fistula, usually in their arm, it looks like they have like a, a sausage or like a hot dog. Oh, size. Yeah, I've seen pictures. Yeah, they're they're not the yeah. most attractive thing, but they're really important because that person is going to be able to undergo hemodialysis much longer. And, so so and when did they figure similar. out how to do the AV fistula? Was this like 50 years ago or more? I don't really know the, the history of the surgery all that well. Okay. I just know that the the they're very difficult to get to work. They they fail at a rate of about 50%. And really? One, like it's a coin flip? Yeah, yeah. And, wow. and if you are not in great health, which usually you're not. Right, if, you're, yeah, if your kidneys are failing, I right, can't imagine. You're... Then, then you fail at a higher rate. So oh, wow. um, there's lots of people who, who keep these expensive catheters. They have complications. And, I mean, hemodialysis is, is really difficult, and yeah. anything to make it easier is, is better. And sure. so Marius, he sees this. He lives this every day. And he had this theory that the reason why these uh, fistulas were failing is because the, the way that they're created is so different than the way blood vessels exist in. in well, how are they created? Well, so when you do the surgery, right, imagine you have, if you, everyone out there, both of you, Look at your arms. Maybe we should name these two two <laughs> listeners that we have. We've we talked about them. They're like Floyd and, and Beatrice or I like it. I like it. So <laughs> sure. So uh, Fred and, and Floyd. Bee. Floyd. <laughs> so if you look at your arms, uh, you're you have a, a vein and a and an artery that are flowing the length of your arm. Surgically what happens is the, the surgeon cuts the vein and sutures it into the, the artery, and that looks like a T-juncture, right? Imagine you're at a, a country highway, and yeah. you're slowing down, it's a stop sign, and you gotta look left, and you gotta look right, and, you know, that's a slow intersection, right? Yeah. If, if the concert gets out, and everyone has to go through that, that that's, that's traffic jam, right? right? As opposed to an on-ramp. An on-ramp, it's not a right angle, it's actually at a very gentle angle, and it slopes on very indirectly, right? It, it, it goes gently into traffic, so no one has to slow so down. So the T-intersection you're talking about, that's what the fistula is. That's, that's what the this... current surgery, it creates right. a T-intersection. Okay. And Marius's idea was, is that because veins are sensitive, they have hairs in them, or, or whatever black magic makes them realize <laughs> that there's blood flow, when they see that T-intersection, and your red blood cells and your clotting factors just piling in, they're pumping out fast, they're kind of hitting into the back wall, creates this, you know, really turbid, unstable blood flow. You know, it just freaks out. It's like, what do I do with this? You know, right. you, we, we did not evolve to have T-junctures in, in our, our, our physiology. And so his idea was very simple. It was to create a little shunt, a little structure that you can put inside of the fistula to turn it from a T-intersection to an interstate on-ramp. It's basically, hmm. uh, it, it changes the direction on that. And Critically, when the, the device is done functionally, it just dissolves. It goes away. And those specifications were really tricky. But the really tricky part of that was is no one had ever built an animal model to do AV fistula generation. So he had this great idea no way to test it. Well, we tried testing it in pigs, and pigs don't work. Their, their legs are too stumpy. They're, they don't have long forelimbs like we do. Even though pigs are a very good model of, of human physiology, they're a great huh. model of thoracic and abdominal physiology, but they got little pig legs. They don't have 
you know, long, grace, all beautiful limbs like you do, Charlie. And, and so um, we that's, not, that's the second time I've heard that today. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, Marius, uh, being indomitable, uh, started looking at, at other animals. We went down to the Ag College at Lincoln, and they had sheep. And he thought, beautiful. They have limbs just like us. He sat there and palpated their their veins and arteries. Okay, and what's palpated? Because it it poke. Okay, but it's it's scientific poking. Gotcha. Okay. He scientifically poked their their arms and, and thought it would work. And okay. he ended up publishing a really cool paper on it, saying that you know yes, we have for the first time created this model. So and is so that there's your innovate to innovate right there? Right. So there's so as any other aside from human, has any other creature had a successful fistula? Uh, none procedure. have been published. I mean, there someone may have done it and never talked about it, but you know, okay. we are the first the the first published instance of creating a, a successful AV fistula. Well, we got this far. How, where is Marius now? Is he close to having this thing good to go? Uh, you know, we we're, we're still continuing to revise it. Right, the the materials that we we're making it out of they didn't dissolve fast enough, and it okay. took us two years to find materials that might. But having that sheep model gave us that platform to do the actual research. So. The first thing we tested didn't work, but we knew exactly the specifications, what we were looking for, and we were able to find it. And so, uh, you know, we've repeated the experiments now. Uh, Marius is doing them with uh, some very skilled surgeons at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And we're hoping that uh, we're able to actually demonstrate improved fistula maturation for the first time. But this has been a multi-year project that has involved a lot of false starts um, and and a lot of uh, scrambling to make things work. But... In the process, it built a very robust portfolio of intellectual property. We have patents that very generally describe what we're trying to do, and they're getting more and more specific to the things that are functional. Getting that um, that T intersection to the more gradual, graceful Y or the uh, on-ramp that you described, that makes me wonder, why hasn't anybody tried that before? But maybe that's, you know what, I'm not going to let you answer that. I think that's maybe a topic for another another podcast. Sounds good. All right. On that note, I think it's time to come to ground. Thank you for joining us. For Tyler Schur and Joe Rungi, I'm Charlie Litton. Uh, be sure to uh, po- rate our podcast, subscribe, tell everybody about us, and uh, we'll see you next time.